You are listening to Fanta Tracks. Because of the following special program, Wonder Woman and the Incredible Hulk will not be presented this evening. Star Wars news in a single file. This is Making Tracks. Here are your hosts, Mark Newbold and Mark Lowcaster. That's not true. That's impossible. You're listening to episode 61 of Making Tracks. I'm your co-host, Mark Newbold, and joining me today is a man who is as voracious at eating up Star Wars news as a crate dragon is at eating banthers. Mark, how are you doing? Nom, 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 nom. I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm I'm all right, thank you. Yeah, how are you? How's your week in Star Wars been? I'm I'm hungry now. You've done that. It's it's <laughs> been another. I mean, we say this every episode, don't we? Like every episode, another busy week. Fanta Tracks turned three this week. We didn't really get a chance to celebrate it because we were so piling into the news and getting stuff done. We've had Mando Monday, which we'll talk about in a minute. Episode or chapter? I always say episode. Chapter nine of The Mandalorian season two's first episode, The Marshal. We'll talk about that as well. Loads and loads of stuff. How's your week been, Mark? It's been great. I've watched a little bit of Star Wars, which I haven't seen before, which I thought was amazing. I think it's just been like a a hype train leading up to season two of Mandalorian. So it's been good. I thoroughly enjoyed it and enjoyed the content that you guys have been putting out. Hype train is a damn good word. I like hype train. It has been a hype train, but in in a positive sense, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. In a very positive sense, you know. Mandalorian, we'll get to that in a second. We were just talking before we started recording. And can we just say, this is the second time pretty much we've recorded this episode because we had a well, we, I say the royal we, I had a power cut yesterday, so we lost the first recording of this episode. So really, this is episode 62, but uh, <laughs> yeah, one of those things. The red carpet virtual premiere for The Mandalorian. Yeah. It was all right for what it was, but why did they put it out after the premiere? Why didn't they put it out before the premiere? That's exactly what I thought as well. They possibly could have done this on the Thursday, because Andy says, right at the beginning of the premiere, some of you have already seen this, so it's kind of like, well, yeah. put out Thursday, build a little bit of hype. In fairness, we haven't seen many premieres at all this year. So true, true. it's good that they've even actually thought to try and do something virtual. So fair play to Lucasfilm. It was a little bit of a, a slightly weird affair, I thought, but still nice nevertheless. Yeah, you're right. A bit mean to rag on it, and I don't think we are, but it just no. seemed like an odd decision to put it out after the debut, rather, of the show, rather than before. Not that the show was lacking in any way public awareness. I think everybody knew The Mandalorian was coming. It was on billboards and buses here in the UK, and I'm sure it was the same everywhere else around the world. Hi, this is Vanessa Marshall, and you're listening to Fanta Tracks. One thing that really did get the hype going was Mando Monday. We had a sort of a tease of it about a month ago, really pushed crazy on StarWars.com, and then this was the first one this week just gone. Of course, this episode comes out on Tuesday. We'll have had a second one, so Mando Monday 2 will have come out yesterday as you're listening to this. But for the ones that we saw the week before, what grabbed you? What were the things that you thought, yeah, I might just put my puck down for that one? I thought the whole thing was pretty good, except for I didn't Mm. think there was much in the way of big announcements. The, The thing to me that... I surprisingly really liked more than I thought I would was the Mandalorian retro collection, the three and three quarter inch yeah. range that they're going to do yeah. next year. There's been rumours and stuff like that floating around that Hasbro were going to do something like this. 
I was thinking, well, that just seems a bit odd because I thought the whole point of the retro collection was to play on the nostalgia of the figures that were out back in the 70s and 80s rather yeah. than introduce new figures. But then when you saw like Grief Karga and you saw Moff Gideon with their vinyl capes, I was just like, I'm yeah. all in for this. Those two yes. figures, I think, make the range. Carl Dune looks okay. And to be fair, IG-11 kind of just looks like a repaint of like an IG-88, which I guess it would do. And the other thing that I thought really stood out to me was for the six-inch Black Series speeder bike, biker scout with a little baby Yoda in the satchel. So playing on on the scene from chapter eight from season one, from the video and from the the still images that you've got online on fan for tracks, it looks like a really nice display piece. Hasbro's really up their detail and the modeling. I'm getting that and I'm more than happy to buy two just to keep one in the box and take one out because it looks lovely. I think Hasbro stole the day in that sense. You know, there was so much stuff coming out from them. 100% with you, that retro collection just... Yeah, I think there were rumours that it was coming and it's no big surprise when it was announced in that sense. I didn't expect to be so taken with them and to look at them and go, I feel like I want to buy two of those. I actually said online, I want to take one and put it on the wall because I like them. I like carded figures. I also want to get one to rip open, which I haven't done for years, rip open and put it in my Palatoy Death Star. I want those characters in my Palatoy Death Star. It's just me. Uh, (laughs) They've just got that total vintage vibe, haven't they? They've They've just nailed it. Regal Robot, we had Tom Spiner on the show last week. Uh, we did a standalone episode, you and me talking to Tom. Great episode. And he teased that they had done the Gamoree and Maquette. That was a bit special as well, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, the level of detail in that is just out of this world. I mean, Regal Robot, everything they ever do, I think, just goes to level 10 and then beyond. I'm going to see if I can work out a way of getting one of those shipped over via a friend or somebody in, in the US because they do look special. Everything they do is, is really well made and well thought out as well. If you want to have a deeper look and a deeper dive into the Mando Monday releases and reveals, head to Fanta Tracks, obviously, because we've got galleries and such on there. And also on the socials, Matt's been knocking it out of the park on socials. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and all the usual places, and head to the site, and you'll see all the galleries and latest news of what's coming out on Mando Monday. And we'll talk about yesterday's Mando Monday next Tuesday, because that's just the way life works. <laughs> it is, yeah. Hey, man, it's me, Kevin Smith, Star Wars fan, Fanta Tracks fan. It feels like it's taken forever to get here, but now we've got it. Chapter 9. I said chapter, I didn't say episode. Chapter well 9. You. The Mandalorian. Thank you very much. Chapter 9, Season 2. So it's the first episode of Season 2, but I like the way they're calling it Chapter 9, just continuing the story of The Mandalorian. Yep. The Marshal, with one L, which I always spell with two. The Marshal. What did you make of it? I thought it was a, was a really strong start to the second season, which, of course, sometimes we know that you have a really strong first season. And the second season always feels a little bit, not quite as exciting, but they started big. Everything about it, tonally, the look of it. We, we did a group review of which you were part of on, on Fanther and, you know, talking about the show in there. One of the things I noticed was that Filoni had said in that interview that we talked about the other week, where he said, imagine season two is Empire and season one is A New Hope. You know, there's a definite step up in terms of quality and technique and everything else, but it's still absolutely still the same thing. It's not like you look at Star Wars and Empire and go, they don't fit anymore. They couldn't fit more. And it feels like this is the same. Just from the opening shot, when you see Mando and the child walk out the shadows and just after the recap, which was very useful, you know, (laughs) into that scenario. Within seconds, literally within seconds, you're back in the room. It just felt so on point. 
back in the room. And also what was quite nice was the trailers that we have had relied heavily on that opening scene. Well, that's really cool because that means that we've got so much more to come. I think a bold move to have started with Tatooine. Considering yeah, yeah. Chapter 5 seemed to be the one that people wasn't too sure about, I haven't heard anybody complain about fan service or the overuse of fan service, whatever that may be, which <laughs> I think means that they've restruck the balance pretty well. I mean, there are some really nice little nods throughout the whole episode. And for me, someone who's read all the Expanded Universe since let's call it the recanonization. Sure. I was really happy to kind of see that they've taken this real small side story from the Aftermath trilogy and kind of gone, plop, let's expand this and make this into like a focus episode for the Mandalorian. Taking that Cobb Vanth character and, and sort of expanding upon it. And then I understand there's slight differences to his history in the book as there is on the TV yeah, show, but you know, a bit. poetic license, mm. you know, you can kind of, that's what Leland's for. You can retcon around stuff like that. That's no biggie. Yeah, just everything about it. And you make a great point about being on Tatooine. I think maybe we are conscious that we've got Kenobi coming and our expectation is that a good chunk of Kenobi will, not all of it, I don't think, I think he's going to get off planet, but I would imagine a good chunk of Kenobi will be set on Tatooine. So there could be a a Tatooine overload. Not that personally I think you can have ever have too much of Tatooine. I'd be happy if every episode was set on Tatooine. I love the place. Mm -hmm. But the, the way they gave us more information about the Tuscans, like Attack of the Clones did. Clones is the best example. You yeah. know, Anakin's out there on his speeder bike and he comes across the Jawa swap meet and stuff like that. You know, you see all these things and then you saw Jawas. Okay, they're off-world Jawas. You know, you see the Mando come across Jawas and you see more of their culture. That sort of exploration of tattooing things we know. But the biggest reveal, of course, was we finally seen a crate dragon and it wasn't at all what I expected. It was about a thousand times bigger than I thought it would be. Dune fans are probably either going, wow, that's a nice nod, or wow, they've stolen that from us completely. It depends on which way they want to swing it. But mm. what did you think of that? Seeing the Crate Dragon, and it really, when he got out the sand, he really was a dragon, wasn't he? He was, yeah, he was a monster, a real big boy, yeah. I, I replied to actually a tweet that Sam Whitworth kind of said the other day about how that whole scene just kind of brought back, for him and also for me, the Star Wars galaxy kind of feels from going yes. out to Tatooine and then, you know, hunting great dragons so you can get the great dragon pearl, which I know is also something that they did in Night, Knights of the Old Republic and stuff like that as well. Which Dark kind of Saber, I think, as well, yeah. What's nice is that, like, it's, it's kind of tying in all these kind of extraneous bits of lore that we've kind of had from various different properties over the time period and just kind of go, right, we're going to now plant this in because it, it's all viable stuff and it all mm. works really well. I mean, obviously, you know, if we're going to start to pick up the bones a little bit, you could say that's quite similar in some respects to chapter two with like the mud him, horn. with Mudhorn, but also chapter four a little bit with kind of like taking down the ATST, the Chicken Walker in Sanctuary. Oh, the this is the kind of vibe of this show. This is very much yeah. the kind of stuff that works. It was just nice to have Mando kind of like develop a relationship with Cobb Vanth over the, the episode. They were kind of doubled down massively on the Western vibe. And they doubled down, I think, also quite a bit on the Seven Samurai vibe again of like helping the villagers and, and, and also getting the villagers involved. Yeah. Yeah. And it was interesting to see that the Tuscans were all in, like, let's get this mother. And then it's the, the villagers who are kind of the reluctant ones. You know, the, the start of that episode when they're in the, the cantina and they're just about to have a face off and then the whole ground shakes and stuff. I was like, oh my god, are we going to have like a, some kind of homage to Tremors? Wasteland, desert, village and that was totally Tremors and that. So it, it brought back loads of different callbacks to different films and stuff, which works just really well, which is just kind of what The Mandalorian seems to be able to do very, very 
effectively. The Western nod is the most obvious, and, and it fits. I mean, Star Wars is kind of a Western anyway, isn't it? It's, you know, it's sort of in its DNA, but especially with the character like Fett and now yes. the Mandalorian, because Fett, you would read him in the old Dark Horse stuff, and that was very much a Western vibe, and now you've got mm. it for real in live action. And also bringing in Timothy Oliphant, who's a great actor, he's good in everything he's been in, who was in Deadwood way back in the day, yes, which exactly. was one of my favourite yeah. shows. And seeing a week wave, and people online are saying, oh, is it the week wave, you know, one of the week wave from Jabba's Palace? And who knows? Maybe it is. We don't know. There's lots of little things that you can kind of start hypothesizing and pulling things together. So the banther in the room, Boba Fett. Yes. We see the helmet. No doubt that's him. The dented helmet. It's clearly his. The body armor, all the bits that survived, all the all the non soft goods bits that survived, yeah. probably being regurgitated or whatever, ends up in a sand crawler. Cobb Vanth gets hold of it, whatever. He's now got armor. He's not pretending to be Boba Fett, but he's got Mando on. And these people understand the the iconography and what that means yeah, and significance. everything else. Yeah, you know, he's become marshal of this town and he's protecting them for whatever reason. And here we are in a post-Endor galaxy and he's the man. And Mando turns up and that's our army. You can't have that. I want that back. And they strike a deal. The final shot, Twin Sons as the speeder rides off and turning around is Tamura Morrison. And the logic is... That's got to be Boba Fett, because the way the episode's been laid out, do you think that's Boba Fett? I would be surprised if it was a random clone or even Rex. It, it doesn't, yeah. like you said, the way the episode and the significance of the armour, I think it's got to be Boba Fett. And if we're going to be really boring about it, you go to IMDb and Tamara Morrison is credited for Boba Fett for this episode. Yeah. But it was interesting because it was interesting to see he's got like a Gaddafi stick and he's also got a rifle which looked a little bit like Fennec Shand's rifle. And I was like, I wonder if that's, even though that wasn't covered in this episode at all, I wonder if he was that person who did actually go and pick her up Mm. at the end of uh, chapter five. It will be interesting to see if they pick up this thread at all in the series or if that's it. What they've done is they've just gone, Boba Fett's still alive. We're going to leave it for now because our Mandalorian is in Jaren and that's where our story is surely if Boba Fett would have been able to have got that armour back off of uh, Cod Vanth one way or another on the flip side of course unless he just thinks that he was lucky to get out alive and there's probably no chance his armour survived but if I was Boba Fett and I made it out of a Sarlacc I would probably want to get back into bounty hunting and pick up the pieces yeah it makes you wonder though how connected to the rest of the Mandalorians Boba Fett is because we know he wasn't true born Mandalorian if you like that's become a real thing in fandom oh he's not a real Mandalorian he doesn't count well we now know that Din Djarin was a foundling as well so so that's a part of the culture so that kind of folds Boba Fett back into it to a degree and and I think also because that that then raises a question about Jango Fett because like you said you know um, it's very much a creed so is Jango Fett the one who's pretty much kind of following the Mandalorian creed I mean, he takes his helmet off a lot in Attack of the Clones. It's a bit like religion. You could have like orthodox Mandalorians yeah. and you can have those who are slightly more progressive and true and, yeah. and that. So maybe there's like a, the overarching creed of a Mandalorian and then how you interpret that or how many of those kind of edicts you actually take into your day-to-day life is that's up a to gl- you. That's a great one because that's a bit like looking at Saw Gerrera being a partisan yeah. rebel. He's still a rebel, but he's like an extremist mm, rebel. Exactly. And then you come to the sequel trilogy and it's like, well, you've got, you know, you've got the resistance, which was sort of almost like a splinter splinter arm of the Republic quietly doing their work at figuring out what the First Order is about. So you've got all these little splinter areas. Matt Martin said it ages ago when people really got upset and I get why they did, you know, that what was the sort of Star Wars timeline was put to one side and he said ages ago, paraphrasing don't despair 
lots of things that you know will come back. And since then, you know, Thrawn's come back. Any manner of things has come back into inverted commas canon. And I know canon's kind of the wrong word because if it's Star Wars, it's all canon. Into the chronology, into the timeline, let's say. That's probably a better way of putting it. It's just a Mm -hmm. clunky way of saying it. All these things are coming back in. And now his Fett, however he got out of there, and it would have battered him, even somebody like Fett, who we always kind of think is practically invincible apart from being knocked into a hole in the floor by a blind guy you know (laughs) he probably had to recover he's probably had to change his ways again you don't know the lay of the land at that time in the galaxy because you know we didn't really see that many okay in comics we did you know fen shisha and toby dala and jodo cast and all these Mm. other people that you kind of saw in mando armor but they always kind of felt like imposters to a degree i know the marvel stuff doesn't technically counting it but well, i still love it uh you know and there's all these different things that that happened and, and were sort of in and around it but really fet was the focus and now we find out that there's this whole underground railroad almost of mandos that are trying to sort of keep their heads down in these little enclaves around the galaxy and our character the mandalorian din is sort of trying to seek them out for help and the first one he hears about is oh there's a guy on, on tatooine well, of course he never names the guy in Tatooine. And we now know the guy that he was talking about was Cobb Vanth. He wasn't talking about Boba Fett. That's the guy that the, the one-eyed fella who gets left to the dogs is talking about, isn't it? You know? Yeah, with the abyss. And as we've kind of seen in the sequel trilogy, characters have these big moments or these big events yeah. happen to them. And then it changes their way of life. Obviously, I'm thinking mainly yeah. of Luke Skywalker and he had his whole Jedi Academy burnt down and stuff. And he's like, screw it. I'm out of here. I'm, I'm going to go to Acto and what have you. And, and potentially the there puffins. is, you know, there is that thing that actually maybe both Fett's just kind of gone, you know what, I'm getting too old for this. Do you remember back in the day, that, well, not that far back in the day, in the comics, Aisha Radhet Yes. Lived like a Tuscan, wasn't a Tuscan, hid himself away, and I just thought Aisha Radhet It's a similar thing, isn't it? You know, yes, very he's, much. He's, yeah. he's out in the desert, he's, in, he's kind of got the gaffy stick, and he's, I don't know whether there's a deeper connection, and maybe this will some, is something that will come out. I don't know whether there's a deeper connection between the Mandalorians and the Tuscans because Mando can speak Tuscan. Mm. If Fett has been living, and that's only an assumption we see him for like, we see him for as long as we see Luke at the end of Force Awakens, really. Pretty much, yeah. You know, I personally don't think, and I said it in the review, I don't think you'll see Fett again until the final episode of season two. I don't think he'll be in next week's episode. I think he'll turn yeah. up down, right down the end of the sort of episode seven or eight. If at all. If uh, at all, yeah. There's very little Baby Yoda. You get these cutbacks to him when something's going on. and like Reaction shots. Reaction yeah. shots and stuff like that. And the only real thing I think that we can see that's really developed over the period between Chapter 8 and Chapter 9 is that Baby Yoda's really starting to get a handle on when violence is going to happen. He, he recognises what the significance means when the Mandic pulls out his kind of whistling birds and stuff like that. So he kind of like goes mm. and hides. So you do wonder if there's a lasting impact of influence onto Baby Yoda. Basically, all he sees is these moments of violence. How is that going to affect and change his development and how he develops in the Force? But apart from that, you know, this does feel like one of those episodes where it's very much Mando's focus and it hasn't really massively moved the story along other than the fact that we know that he doesn't need to go back to Tatooine to find any more Mandalorians because there are none. Yeah. And and when you think that we've only got eight episodes per season, I guess you've really got to weigh up how important all these things are. Would having Fett back in another episode be too much of a distraction from the story and that kind of thing? Mm. Do do you kind of get my point? I 100% get your point. And I think there's another question. Because Star Wars is what Star Wars is, and it's been around so long, and there's all these ancillary things like books and comics and and now animated shows and shorts and all sorts of stuff, you can expand upon characters outside of the the live action realm 
and make a character like, for example, I'll pick Yoda as an example. You know, Yoda feels like a lead character and he's not. He's a supporting character. Yeah. But he's been in that many things and we're all so familiar with him and he's part of the zeitgeist like 3PO and R2 and Vader and Maul and all these other characters. What are all essentially supporting characters become in our heads just as vital and, and as much of a lead character as Vader or Luke or Leia or Ray or whoever else. So I think with The Mandalorian as a show, the focus is Mando and the child and everybody around them is supporting that storyline. And if Boba Fett is back and they confirm that that's Boba Fett and we don't ever see him again in the show and that was it before we even get to season three, mm-hmm. yeah. there'll be a return of Fett book and a return of Fett comic and a return of Fett cartoon. And that's where they'll take that storyline. They'll move it out of that light. Or, or maybe if there's enough of a clamour for it, maybe you get a live action Boba Fett TV series. I don't know. But there's so many more options. I don't think there's any requirement for the Mandalorian TV series to give any definition or detail or ending or bow on it of that Boba Fett moment exactly. in the first episode. I yeah. think maybe part of what all of this is doing is putting Fett back in play in the realms of we can now do stuff with him. And also then, yes, you've got that six-year period where it only needs to be novel or standalone comic or maybe like a, a yeah. four-parter or something just to kind of catch us up on Fett's adventures on Tatooine in between that period. It does then give you that option. You can use him at some point. Because also then, what's the next thing? What what does Din going to do with the armor? Yeah. There aren't many Mandos around, and we don't know what happens to the armorer at the end of Chapter 8. We assume she gets off Navarro, but who knows? She she might still be there. I mean, we did see, you know, when, when he went to the, you know, the, under, the underground place on Navarro, yeah. at the time, everyone was going, is that Fett? And everyone was looking at them in the chat and going, is that Fett? Is that Fett? And of course it wasn't. <laughs> that, you know, there was so many that looked like Fett. And you wonder, you it's, know, yeah. what's the importance of Fett as a character within the world to the other Mandalorians? Because he was mm. a bounty hunter infamous and we read the bounty hunters comic which i'm very much enjoying and you know he comes in and it's like it's on so he's got this reputation clearly earned fett's one of those weird characters especially in the original trilogy you don't actually see him do that much because he wasn't the focus because he came with a reputation even when he turns him an empire He's got a reputation within the fandom because he'd been in the holiday special. There was an action figure in him come out, one of the first mail-away figures. And now Boba Fett came into Empire Strikes Back as an, almost as an, I mean, he wasn't, we've learned so much about him since, but almost as a known entity in a weird way. So Fett's always had this mistake from day one when he turned up and San Anselmo at the fair walking up the street. Fett's back on the table. He's back in play. And that means as a character, Lucasfilm can go... We can release new action figures if, of this if we want. We can do a comic, like say, we can do a book. We can do Galaxy of Adventures type Boba Fett yeah. story. I don't know, whatever. That would work really well, I think. I completely agree. When I saw Cobb Vanth in that armour, you know, it, yeah. it evokes so much feelings to me because obviously I've got the armour. And the one mm. thing I was thinking was, oh, man, does that mean I've got to do a new costume? <laughs> but also the way he wearing it and stuff, I was just like, he kind of looked just like a fairly naff cosplay, yes. which actually I've since thought, well, actually, hang on a sec, that's exactly kind of what it is because yeah. he's just donned yeah. the armor and gone, yep. I'll put that with it and that will do. And different he knew rocket. how to use that jetpack though, didn't oh, he? He, did, he figured yeah. that out. That was great. And I loved how when he get when he hands it to um, Din at the end, he kind of goes, yeah, I didn't break that. That wasn't me. Yeah. You know, re- referencing yeah. like Han about which is, I think was just a nice touch, you know, and also actually for the fact that Din just kind of like whacked him with it earlier and he goes flying off. So a couple of really nice callbacks. The pacing felt a little bit slow. I mean, it was the longest episode we've had, 52 yeah. minutes. But I was just like, I wonder if it had been trimmed down a bit. It just felt, I don't want to say self-indulgent, but they had these whacking great big wide shots they've used with a drone. And some of it just felt slightly self-indulgent. 
that's the only criticism I've seen. I've got to say, you're not the only person I've seen say that. From one point of view, I get it. I like those big shots. I like seeing the world. I like the chance to listen to Ludwig Göransson's music mm, with yeah. that background as a visual. And it's a quote that Lucas said way back when. And he was almost digging at Star Trek The Motion Picture. You know the classic shot in The Motion Picture when you have 10 minutes floating oh, around the Enterprise. God, yes. Which, which is long. I might as well be Jamie Lee Curtis in Perfect. It's about that level of drool. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? It's, it's that sort of thing. But Lucas said, you know, you don't need to show 10 minutes of a shot. That's clearly what he was referencing. You know, you can do an establishing shot of Tatooine or Moss Eisley, a little scratchy Macquarie map painting across that desert. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and that's enough to, to go, well, there's Moss Eisley. Wow, I, I, that's the wretched hive. But now, of course, special effects technology has moved on to the degree that they can show it in the granular detail and Lucas can't go back to that quote that he said not that he would but he can't go back to that quote that he said before because look at what he did in the special editions he had shots of cloud cars flying around Bespin and the long entrance of the Falcon to, to Cloud City and stuff like that you know when he had the technology to do it he the did budget. it yeah, so, exactly. I, so yeah. I get why they do it but I do yeah. agree I do think yeah they probably could if they wanted to they could have trimmed a bit you're listening to Fantatracks Flip through the galaxy of literature with Cannon Fodder hosts Brian Cameron, Matt Booker, Mark Newbold, and Mark Mocaster. Count me in. Spin round the rim with Desert Planet Discs. Your musical journey through the space lanes with your hosts, Carl Bayliss and Greg Robertson. The hottest tunes this side of Muff's Eyes Lake. Get the latest news, interviews, reviews, and much more on Making Tracks with your hosts, Mark Newbold and Mark Mulcaster. Like an Ewok battle wagon out of control. Join hosts Claire Henry and a rotating panel of guest hosts for the podcast that's full of hope. Hope. Planet Leia. I love you. I know. It's time to head south with the Fanta from Down Under, Adam O'Brien. Oh, get out, mate. Hey, going? <laughs> Start your engines with Paul Naylor and Mark Newbold as they lift the hood on starships, airspeeders, swoops, capital ships, and more from across the cosmos. And for everything in one location, daily news, reviews, interviews, podcasts, video and social media feeds, bookmark fanthatracks.com for Star Wars news 24-7, 365. Unbelievably, we finally got a listener's question. Are you, are you ready for this one, Mark? <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> good, good. You, you sound ready. Listener's question. It's from Greg Alonzo. He has sent in questions before. It's always gratefully received. And this is very pertinent because it calls back to something we were talking about earlier. If you produce Star Wars figures, why wouldn't you produce a line specifically designed to emulate the full classic 96 cardback Kenner figure lines, a cohesive focus collection? It was such an iconic line. And there are the willing collectors in the right nostalgia and disposable income bracket but no one seems to have committed to producing the full collection. The retro collection looked like it could be the answer and seems to have helped show that there is indeed the market to risk a dedicated full run of the original Kenner 96 with nostalgia-stroke collector demand even for the figures that were the least popular in the original range. But does the release of the Mandalorian retro collection wave, as nice as they are, mean that Hasbro is in danger of just turning this into yet another general completist collection? That's a really good question and quite a deep one because mm. obviously we talked about it earlier. We're both buzzed for that a retro range of Mando figures. I think it's a good point. They've released a certain amount of figures from Star Wars and a certain amount of figures from Empire. What do you think? Do you think they've kind of spoilt the water a little bit by doing a Mando wave? Or do you think it's a clever move because I'm all in for that? I've pre-ordered my wave already, um, and it's not oh, coming right, out okay. to me. So yeah, I'm totally <laughs> yeah, I've drunk that Kool Aid. Um, there is that thing, isn't it? Because 
when the the first A New Hope uh, retro figures came out, that seemed to be uh, around the same time as like Father's Day out in the US or something, if memory says correctly. Yeah. And yeah. I was kind of thinking to myself, well, this is just a really nice nostalgic thing that, you know, mums can get their kids to buy for their dads and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But I did think, are they going to do all 96? And the part of me was thinking then was, do I want to collect all 96 of them if, if, I, if I do? I've got my vintage original figures, my loose ones, all lovely displayed in a glass case. Yeah. I don't have a Death Star to stick them in, unfortunately, like you. So there's a part of me that goes, well, I kind of get the feeling that they could probably have done more. Like, I, I was surprised that they didn't do, you know, more than one wave per film. But then actually, that's not to say that they're not likely to. I think that maybe they're just kind of like tying and trying to cash in a little bit with the Mando thing just to kind of get the, the retro figures out. Obviously, yeah. we still have the vintage collection figures as well. I don't know how many of the original 96 figures they've actually released. But I would think a fair number of, of them, if not most of them. I would quite like to see more of retro vintage figures. I would quite like to see another wave or so of, of each films. But at the same time, I was, I was just thinking, well, now they've done The Mandalorian, it would be quite cool just to get maybe like some Rogue One figures or even solo figures. And if you are only going to do one wave, do a wave of each of the uh, sequel trilogy films as well, just to kind of round it all off. It's a weird one with Hasbro noodling around online last night and... and- Looking at back in the day when the original figures came out, the three and three quarters came out, mm-hmm. and, and apart from that sort of brief run of 12-inch figures, which didn't even, I don't think, even got to Jedi, it was just Star Wars and Empire, that was the scale, and that was it. And how many hundred million Star Wars figures did they sell? It was insane numbers. Different world, different environment, different everything. But point being, sometimes there can be too much choice. And I, and I do sometimes think Hasbro do have too many expressions they've got jedi force figures and galactic heroes figures and yeah. the tiny little sort of half inch tall little stubby little things they release and then there's six inch and there's a five inch range for some bargain shops and of course 12 inch figures and too many different variations of those figures that you can buy and even within three and three quarter you've now got the retro line which i really do like because they're nostalgic and i say if i was 20 and star wars had been around for 40 years I don't really think I'd be paying too much attention to these unless I was a specific Mando collector. Mm. Very specific. And it's like, oh, it's Mandalorian. I've got to have it because it's Mandalorian. Not because it's it's a lovely, loving throwback to a range of figures that came out 35 years ago. It's the Mandalorian. That's the logo I'm buying is that. If they do it, like you said, they'll do it in the vintage collection, right? So you get a Corridium figure in the vintage collection and they'll do a Corridium figure in the six-inch range, of course. They may do a 12-inch one, probably not. But they will certainly do it in the retro line, which will come out, which we know is coming out in May. There's almost too much. And I think with the retro line, I think they've released six from Star Wars and six from Empire. Off the top of my head, I think that's how many they've released of each. Just half a dozen, isn't it? I think so. It's not more than that, I don't think. That's just nice to give you a flavour. But like Greg says, it's a great question. His vibe is that if original collectors, or he's really saying people of a certain age, I think that's what he's saying. Yeah. I could be reading that wrong, but my gut tells me that it's people who kind of remember playing with them as a kid would be the most invested in this line of figures, more than a younger collector, unless, like I say, they've got a specific focus. Some of those figures that came out back in the day were must-have figures. We all wanted the TIE Fighter pilot. We all wanted the Attack driver. We all wanted the Gamma Marine Guard. Everybody wants Han, Luke, and Leia, all those sort of figures. And then other figures come out that were a little bit like, Mm, maybe <laughs> yeah that's it yeah you know that you know what i mean there's, there's certain figures but i think in this range if you put an ugnaught figure out for example 
everyone's going to go nuts for Ugnaughts now because Quill is an Ugnaught, so we know yeah. more about the Ugnaughts. So now there's a lot more good baggage to go with certain figures. We saw Walrus Man in Rogue One, Pondababa. So there's all these other things. And then, of course, they've got the chance to explore. They could finally do a Dr. Everson vintage style, retro now, as they call it, retro collection style figure. Cantina band characters, you could do them in the old school style that they never did. They've done Tarkin for the board game. They've done yeah. Luke in his Snowspeeder pilot for the board. You know, I think there's another Monopoly and there's a figure with that. I think it's yeah. a Stormtrooper in the retro yeah. line. A lot of people who listen to his podcast either have dabbled or have at least tried to dip their toes into rebuying the original vintage figures, be yeah. it carded or not. And, you know, as soon as you start looking for carded figures, it gets very prohibitively expensive very quickly. Yeah. It's very competitive amongst the collectors. You know, so sure. you, you know, somebody offers something online on a Facebook group and it's gone within you know, like a second or so. So you kind of see, well, actually, you know, there's there's clearly a market for it or for a desire. So why wouldn't Hasbro, with all their lineage going back to Ken and all that, do this and, and release mm-hmm. a figure, figure line for that? And also, I suppose the thing is, it's like now, like I said, I've just pre-ordered Retro Wave 3 Mandalorian figure collection coming out in yeah. May. I don't care which figures are in there. It's a way of allowing people to recapture a period of time who were either around or were associated with that kind of era and not feel like they're having to really dip into, into the bank just to get a, a vintage figure. There's a lot of ranges and... Even for the quote-unquote collector market, with the vintage collection, the retro vintage collection, we've got those credit chip figures for the Black Series, which kind of came out of nowhere. Mm. You know, there's only four of those out at the moment, which they, they look great, and I've got them. But, and then you've got the carbonized, and you've got the gaming greats. You know, there's all these different ranges, and it's quite overwhelming. Whereas before, going back 20 years, you'd have everything on an Episode 1 card, or everything on an Attack of the Clones card, or a Saga card, or what have you. Mm. And you only really needed to collect one range. But now they've gone, we're going to try and kind of tick all the boxes and kind of like make sure that everybody's kind of happy or there's a range for everybody of different persuasions. Whether or not that dampens the overall kind of effectiveness and whether or not maybe by having to then just kind of reproduce the figures. Because, of course, with the vintage collection Mandalorian figures, you've got the Mando, you've got Cara Dune. And then with the Black Series, you've got Mando and Cara Dune, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. You're repeating your your actual figure varieties just based on scale, but not really offering anything different about them. But the good thing about this range is that, one, they're coming out pretty close to the show. I mean, okay, season two, these are these look mostly like season one figures, but, but season two, you know, and we get them in May, so uh, that, that's got to be said, they're still sort of seven or eight months away from yeah. sort of being in your hands. But nevertheless, you know, they've announced them, we know they're coming, the excitement's there, people are paying for them now, put their orders in, and that's something in the future. But with them being so current to the show, mm. there's instructions of people who are into The Mandalorian, which yes. is pretty much everybody. There's a beautiful retro feel to it, but there's also another aspect of, and we were talking about this yesterday on the, the Lost in the Internet episode of <laughs> making tracks that never will never get released. When I was a kid, I would go to sleep and I would dream about Star Wars figures and I would wake up convinced that there were certain figures that were coming out that were never coming out, mm. but I'd got I'd just dreamt about them and I would I dreamt I'd walked into my local toy shop and there was this figure, you know, a, a lost figure, a missing figure, and I was convinced that they either were coming or they were out or whatever. And of course they weren't. I dreamt it. And you see these figures, you look at them, the images they showed on Mando Monday of um, Moff Gideon and of especially especially of um, Grief Karga with the vinyl capes, the you know, Bespin Lando capes, because obviously yeah. the Jedi Lando had a soft cape. But you look at that and think, wow, that is so well observed. And another thing that I really like 
that they could have gone the other way. And I think we all sort of blur Star Wars Empire and Jedi figures together. But if you look at the Star Wars figures compared to the Empire figures, there's a big step up in sculpting quality between Star Wars and Empire. Oh, absolutely. You know, and another big step up between Empire and Jedi. They really had got it down pat by Jedi. This show is set five years after Jedi. So if you were putting your logical head on, you would have made the sculpts much more like the Empire and Jedi figures than the Star Wars ones, which look more these days like the the reactions figures. But the original Star Wars figures were more like that, stiff-limbed. They've not sculpted in any sort of movement, arms straight, legs straight. But they didn't have gone for that classic Star Wars original first wave of 12 figures or whatever, you know, that look. For the human characters anyway, because obviously Greed, I would a bit more about him. I mean, Hammerhead certainly did. You know, there's certain figures that did have a lot more expression, but I like the fact they've done that. I'm, I'm digging it. I think they're going to be great when they're out. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson, and you are following Fanthatrax. Hasbro Pulse revealed their Tier 4 and Tier 5 incentives for the Razor Crest Haslab project. Tier 4 requires 15,000 backers needed, and that will give us a beautiful display stand that you can plonk your Razor Crest on it so you can display it if you've got a big enough shelf. Tier 5, which requires 17,000 backers, gives us a new vintage collection off World Jawa Elder, which comes with a exclusive knife and necklace, as well as a half-eaten Cadbury's cream egg. <laughs> I mean, Madhorn egg. So yeah, what did you think about those two extra tier announcements? And do you think we've got a chance again to Tier 5, you know, 17,000 backers? It's a big ask, isn't it? They've the, the pushed through 13,000, so they've unlocked the carbonite blocks. They've announced Tier 4 for the stand. I think the stand is fantastic. Yeah. Really is a great idea. It's it's a big beast. It's two foot long. I think you'd need a pretty deep shelf to get this on a shelf. I think this is to sort of display it on a, on a tabletop or a coffee table or a, somewhere else, yeah. not on a shelf. I don't think you could get it on a shelf. It finishes on the 9th, so you're only a week or so away, aren't you? Not and much I mean, time. the sailboards had a late run, don't forget. The, the sailboards did have a mad, crazy late rush before it all closed down. So tier four is achievable at 15, but I think tier five is a stretch. But when you think the initial goal was 6,000, I think it, and I've heard that there is an off world Jawa coming out anyway. He just doesn't have the egg knife, and the knife. Yeah. So there will be an off-wheel Joey, just won't have the, the access, accessory. I can't imagine Hasbro not... I don't know. Maybe that's a bad precedent to set if they go, let's throw the Jawa in anyway. Because they've done other HasLab things that have gone two, four, and five tiers mm. and got there. I think the Sentinel, the Marvel Sentinel did. So maybe not if they don't reach 17,000, you don't get the off-wheel Jawa with the egg. Maybe that's just the way we roll, you know. Yeah, and when you think you get the ship, you get the stand, you get the carbonite blocks, you get Mando with the soft cape, you get Baby Yoda with the pram, you get an off-wheel Jara with the mudhorn egg. And the escape pod, a heck of yeah. a lot of stuff all yes. of a sudden. And the escape pod, that's right, yeah, you get the escape pod as well. If they reach tier four by the, the 9th of November, I'm, yeah. I'm definitely pre-ordering it. Because the stand, to me, is kind of where it starts to really separate Hasbro as the toy manufacturer and Hasbro as kind of making a, a high-end collectible. The price for Razor Crest is what you'd pay easily for some hot toys or like sideshow figures and, you know, an EFX helmet or, you know, anything like that or Master Replicas back in the day. Mm. kind of think this makes sense. I've still got time right now. I'm, I'll keep an eye on it and probably will pull the trigger fairly late in midday. Then I can figure out where we're going to put it. Because, yeah, like you said, it's going to take up a yeah. lot. It's going to have quite a large footprint. But the, the stand looks great. Having it circular means that it doesn't take up a huge amount of space. I've got the Code 3, Manelian Falcon and Republic gunship. And those are square stands, display bases. And they do take up a lot of space. And really, the only way you can get any space back is if, if you get an acrylic case on top. So you can then display stuff on yeah. top of it. I'm not too fussed necessarily about the, the off-world jar. They are meant to have one coming anyway. But then I suppose it would be 
an extra justification, you know, for 350 quid, you're not just getting a vehicle, you are getting three figures as well. So you yeah. kind of start to weigh up that way. So I think it's all good. Yeah. I will watch this with great interest. And a frying pan because you want that egg. Do you reckon actually one side of our, um, that armory he's got in bed yeah. is like cooking utensils? So it's like a frying pan yeah. and griddle yeah. and stuff. Skillet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I bet he's got one of those baby Yoda waffle makers as well. Exactly. You must have watched Monday yeah. Monday. Yeah. <laughs> Right, well, that's all we've got time for for episode 61. If you're like Greg and you want to send us a question, be it a long one, a difficult one, or a really easy one, you can do that, and Mark's going to tell you how you can get in touch. If you want to be a part of the action and stay updated on all the latest Star Wars news, visit Fanthatracks.com or check out the Fanthatracks app through the App Store to follow us on your mobile device. You can reach out to us and send in your listeners' questions by emailing radio at Fanthatracks.com. So just like Greg did, send in an email, anything you want to ask, We'll talk about it. I think you can probably guess by now. We literally will talk about anything. Comment, like, and share on any of our social media feeds at Fanthatracks. And be sure to subscribe, leave a review, please. We could do some five-star ones on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast or smart speaker of choice. And as always, thanks to James Semple for composing the Fanthatracks intro, Adam O'Brien for our making tracks only music, and Mark Daniel and Vanessa Marshall for our voiceovers. Episode 61, it's done. It's a wrap. I'm very happy. Second time lucky. Do it again next week? I should think so. You take care, Mark. Rest in peace, 007. Coming up next on Fanta Tracks Radio, it's another episode of Making Tracks.